Now we know from Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. So all sin is deadly. All sin causes death. It causes spiritual death. Sometimes it causes relational death, emotional death, or sometimes even physical death. So all sin is deadly. And today we're going to look at the deadly sin of greed. Now I bet most of us are probably thinking that we don't struggle with greed. In fact, for most of us, we're probably thinking about someone else that we wish could hear this sermon right now. And if they're sitting next to you, don't make eye contact because that would be weird. <laughs> right? But greed is one of those sneaky sins that affects almost all of us. But most of us think greed's effects people who are a little bit greedier than us. Like we somehow know exactly where that boundary is between generosity and greed. It's kind of like how nobody thinks they drive too fast. And you guys think you drive too fast? Of course not. Nobody thinks they drive too fast, right? Who do we think drives too fast? Anyone who drives faster than us. Now we'll admit that we drive over the speed limit, but we'll always justify it. Well, the speed limit should have been higher. I was running late. I'm a safe driver. And we do the same thing with greed. We say things like, well, I worked hard to earn that money, so I should get to spend it how I want. Or everybody else has a new iPhone, why can't I get one? Or I don't know what next year is going to look like, so I need to put more away. We justify it. Now, before you send me an email, I'm not saying if you have a new iPhone that you're greedy. And I'm not saying that it's greedy to save, but I am saying all of us are affected by greed. I was just reminded of that during the harvest party that I'm still battling greed. I did one of the trunks for the trunk retreat, and my theme was Psalm 76.4, which says, You are radiant with light, more majestic than mountains rich with game. And so for part of my trunk, I had a bunch of deer and elk and, and moose antlers that I'd found over this last year. And someone came up to me at the event and said, hey, would I, could I buy one of those antlers from you? And I said, no, you don't have to buy one. I'll just give you one. And so on the outside, I looked super generous. But on the inside, as soon as I said that, this little voice said, why are you giving him an antler? You don't want to give one of those away. I had dozens of antlers in the truck. I'll probably find dozens more this next year, and he only wanted one. I was still battling with greed. Now, the cool thing is when I gave it to him and I saw how excited he was, it, it snapped me out of it. And, and I was super thankful that God used me to bless him in that way. But the reality is we all struggle with greed and nobody there would have known I was struggling with it. That's one of the other sneaky things about greed. Unlike some of these other sins like anger and, and things like that, people pretty much know if you're struggling with it. You can struggle with greed and nobody even knows you're struggling with it. That brings us to a working definition of greed that we're going to look at for today's lesson. Greed is a selfish and excessive desire for more of something, such as money, than is needed. Now here's where the rub comes in. Who gets to decide how much I need? Do you decide that? Do I get to decide that? Is there a formula for it somewhere? Well, friends, I would submit that we need to allow God to decide what we need. That we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading in this area. After all, there are several promises in Scripture about God meeting our needs. 
So if God has promised to meet our needs, then he should be the one who gets to determine what those needs are. And we can trust him in that because he's good and because he's generous. I want to read a quote to you from Graham Tomlin from his book, The Seven Deadly Sins. We're going to be reading one of these quotes each week as we go through the series. It says, Greed tries to satisfy the restless soul with things that were never meant to satisfy it. And temporarily, at least, it silences the desire for God that is the clue and the pathway to true happiness. Have you guys ever saved up money for something that you were just dying to get and then you finally bought it and it just didn't give you the contentment and the fulfillment that you thought it would? Or even worse, you went into debt to purchase it. And not only did you not get the fulfillment you thought you would get, but now you're straddled in debt as well. We can all relate to that. Think of all those Christmases as a kid. We just had to have the latest thing, and then by spring, it was in a closet or in the garage somewhere collecting dust. And that's because we were all created with the God-shaped hole in our heart. And we look for so many different things to try and fill that, but they just don't work. Nothing will soothe our restless soul like a rich relationship with our Creator will. That's why you see so many athletes and entertainers and business leaders and politicians who seem to have it all, and they're miserable. They make silly decisions. They get sucked into addictive behaviors because they had everything the world said would fill that void. They've got the money, and they've got the fame, and they've got the cars, and they've got the boats, and they're still empty because those things were never meant to satisfy our restless soul. And most of us would say, well, John, I don't want to be that wealthy. I don't need seven cars and three homes. I just need a little bit more than I have to be happy. Because again, we think greed starts with anyone who is greedier than us. And we buy into that same lie. And then when that happens, it silences our desire for God, which is actually the one thing that would lead to true riches to true contentment. And that's going to bring us into our first point for today. Robert, you're just going to have to take me through. Greed is a false pathway to enjoying life built on the lie that this life is all that there is. See, this is one of those issues where you and I have to decide, do we really believe that what we believe is really real? Do we really believe there's more to this life? Because if we don't, we should just get all we can and eat, drink, and be merry. But there is more to this life than what we can see. And because of that, greed will never satisfy us. This will never bring true enjoyment and fulfillment. Now, it might lead us to some temporary enjoyment, but it will never satisfy our reckless soul. Here's what Jesus says about it in Luke chapter 12. It says, Then he said, Beware! Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Now, the word that's translated beware here is actually a much stronger word. It literally means guard yourself. In other words, you are under attack from greed and covetousness. And if you don't guard yourself, it will destroy you. And if that was true in Jesus' time, think of how much more true it is for us today. See, we are constantly being told to want more. 
Our entire economy is basically built on the premise that you don't have enough. We're under a constant barrage of ads that tell us we need the newer, the bigger, the faster, the cooler to be happy. We are under attack, so you need to guard yourself. And Jesus reminds us that life is not measured by how much we own because this life isn't all that there is. And the other twisted truth about this is that greed almost always leads to a feeling of lack, to a feeling of scarcity. And so then when that happens, we can't even enjoy the blessings that God has already given us because we're focused on what we don't have. There's so much enjoyment in thanksgiving. There's so much blessing and contentment. But greed robs us of that. After Jesus warned his audience to be on guard against greed, then he told them the following parable in Luke chapter 12. It says, Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, What should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. And then who will get everything that you work for? I want to start by talking about what this parable is not saying. This parable is not saying you shouldn't work hard. You should work hard. Working hard is a good thing. In fact, Colossians 3.23 says that whatever you do, do it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. It's also not saying that saving is a bad thing. There are tons of Proverbs that talk about the value of planning and saving. Proverbs like 21.5 and Proverbs 6.6. 6. So working hard and saving are not the issue here. But let's look at some things that we can draw from this parable. The first thing we notice is that Jesus says this is a rich man. He was a rich man before this bumper year. He already had an abundance. His needs were already met. And now he has this bumper year and he has more than he knows what to do with. And the first thing I see about this rich man is I don't see any thanksgiving. Nowhere in the parable does he thank God for God's goodness and for the abundance. How thankful are you and I? Do we tend to thank God when we have those bumper years, so to speak? Second, there's no consideration for the needs of the people around him. He doesn't seem to consider using any of this surplus to help others. He doesn't talk about sharing with anyone who is less fortunate. Then third, we don't see that he seeks to honor God in the way that he handles these resources. And at the end of the day, let's remember that they're really God's bumper crop. See, this farmer's resources, just like your resources and my resources, really aren't our resources. They're God's resources, and we're just managing them. We're just stewarding them, hopefully for his glory and for his purposes. So we don't see that he used it well. And then lastly, he's not trusting God, he's trusting his surplus. Or he says, hey, now I can sit back and eat, drink, and be merry because I have all this stuff stored away. So his trust is in his surplus, his trust is not in God. 
And so often you and I do the same thing. We trust in our 401k or our checking account or our savings or our job or whatever. We do the same thing. Now let's continue on as Jesus speaks to the crowd coming out of this parable. So we see a verse coming out of it. Luke 12, 21. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. So the man in the parable's primary problem was not material wealth. Material wealth in and of itself is not a bad thing. The man's primary problem is he did not have a rich relationship with God. And Jesus says, that's just downright foolish. You're a fool if you don't have a rich relationship with God. See, God is not anti-wealth. God is anti-temporal wealth. God wants you to have wealth that lasts. In fact, Jesus said in John 10.10 that I have come that they might have life that's rich and abundant. God wants you to have a rich life, but God knows that riches are not measured by your material things. God knows that a truly rich life is someone who has a rich relationship with their creator and a rich relationship with others. That is the way to have true wealth. And that will make you rich in this life and in the life to come. That brings us into our second point, which is that greed is destructive at every level, individually, family, and society. See, greed brings destruction and brokenness at every level. And that shouldn't surprise us because as we read earlier, the wages of sin is death. All sin causes destruction. You know, greed is closely related to coveting. In fact, in many places in the Bible, you'll see those words used almost interchangeably in different translations. So we defined greed as wanting more than we need. Coveting would be wanting more than we have. And think of how greed and coveting rob us individually. Think of the impact that greed and coveting have on us and our personal lives. First, they rob us of contentment. Is there anything that brings more peace to your soul than contentment? When you're stuck in greed, you get robbed of that. Second, greed robs us of thanksgiving. Do you know how many benefits there are to having an attitude of of thanksgiving and gratefulness? I read an interesting article in Forbes magazine, a secular magazine, that talked about the seven scientifically proven benefits of a grateful attitude. They listed better physical health, better mental health, better sleep, better relationships, all because of having a spirit of gratitude. But when you and I are stuck in greed, it robs us of that. I think a fair question to ask ourselves is, would you consider yourself a grateful person? Would your friends and family say that you're a thankful person? I think that's a great conversation starter on the way home. Hey kids, do you think I'm a thankful person? See, as believers, you and I should wake up every day full of gratitude. Thankful that God Almighty reached down and saved us from the grave. That he gave us salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, even though we didn't deserve it, even though we didn't do anything to earn it. We should be a people full of thanksgiving and gratitude, regardless of how we're doing financially. Lastly, on the individual level, greed robs us of enjoyment. It's tough to enjoy life when you're always focused on what you don't have. 
And this life goes by awfully fast, and I would hate to spend it not being thankful for all the amazing things that God has already given me. You know, I remember when Rhonda and I had been married about five years. It was a time that was pretty tight for us financially. She was pregnant with our first child in the early stages of pregnancy. And back then I was self-employed, so I had a super high deductible health savings account, which meant I was paying for this pregnancy out of pocket, labor and delivery. I'm just writing a check for us, so we're pinching every penny. So for our fifth anniversary, I took Rhonda to the entertainment capital of the world, Kimmer, Wyoming. <laughs> I know, ladies, don't get jealous. <laughs> I've had bigger, more fun anniversary trips, but that one is still one of the best we've ever had. In fact, when we were driving over there, we were joking. I said, you didn't know how posh it was going to be being married to me, did you, <laughs> on the way to Kimmer, Wyoming. We played golf there. Here's your useless trivia fact for the day. Kimmer, Wyoming, the little course there, has the only island green in the state of Wyoming. So if you're just dying to go hit a ball on an island green, go play in Kimmer. We took some hikes at Fossil Butte National Monument. We just had a great time. We were just so thankful to be away, just so thankful to have that time together. Now, we've taken, you know, bigger, more expensive anniversary trips since then, but that's still one of my all-time favorites. And I learned two things from that. Number one, don't let greed rob you of the little blessings in life. And number two, marry a gal from Wyoming because they don't have very high expectations. <laughs> now, greed isn't just destructive individually. Greed is also destructive at the family level. In fact, if you think about it, I don't know if there's been anything more than money that has ripped more families apart. In fact, this issue of greed tearing apart a family is actually what causes Jesus to tell this parable in the first place. So if we go back into Luke chapter 12, we see that someone calls out from the crowd. It says, then someone called out from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Now, just before this man yells this out, Jesus had been talking about some very deep, very important things. He told the crowd to, to not fear those who could only harm the body, but to fear the one who could cast your soul into hell. He told the crowd that if you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before angels, but if you deny me before men, I'll deny you. He talked about this unforgivable sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. He warned them they were going to be persecuted and brought before the religious authorities because of him. I mean, this is some very deep, very heavy stuff Jesus is talking about. And in the midst of all that, this man blurts out, tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. This guy hasn't heard a single word Jesus just said. His greed has him focused on this issue with his brother, and he doesn't hear the very words of God. He doesn't hear anything Jesus is teaching him right there in the crowd. And we saw that quote about Graham Tomlin saying that greed silences our desire for God. Well, this is exactly what happened with this man in the parable. And this greed is also causing a break in the relationship with his brother over their father's estate. And I'm sure most of us can probably relate. We've either been through something like that or we know a family who's been ripped apart when it came time to divide the estate. And if you're in the middle of something that right now, I would just ask you to check your heart and ask yourself, is greed the reason you're taking the position that you're taking? Lastly, greed is destructive on a societal level. So much of the crime that we face in our culture has its root in greed, theft, embezzlement, not paying workers a fair wage. All of these are rooted in greed. 
And don't you find it interesting that we live in a time when there is more surplus than in the history of the world, and yet it seems like the level of discontentment is at an all-time high? Because material things cannot fill the restless soul. So what are we to do? Does the Bible call us to live in poverty? Are we supposed to just give it all away and be paupers? How do we battle greed? Well, the antidote to greed is not poverty, it's generosity, looking outward to give to others in need. So the antidote to greed isn't poverty, the antidote to greed is generosity. Now, I know at first that seems sort of counterintuitive. (laughs) If I'm already longing for more than I have, then how is giving some of it away going to solve my issue? But it's like a lot of things in Jesus' economy that don't seem to make sense. Things like the first will be last and the last will be first. And if you want to lead, you have to serve. And if you want to be free, you have to submit to his authority. I don't know how it works. I just know it works. I know that when I've allowed God to use me to meet someone else's need, I've never longed for more for myself. I've longed for God to use me again, even in a situation as silly as giving a guy an antler in the parking lot. Here's what Jesus says as he continues to teach on this topic in Luke chapter 12. He says, sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because I don't want to put you on the spot. But how many of you tensed up a little bit on the first part of that verse? Sell your possessions and give to those in need. We want to be like, well, that's not really what he means, right? Surely that's not what he's asking me to do. Now we're going to look at some reasons that are stated later in this passage that that should cause us to do that with joy and excitement and with a sense of expectation. But before we even go there, we need to go to one critical, fundamental understanding about our possessions, and that's that they're not our possessions. They're God's possessions. He's just asking us to manage them. And if you want to push back on that a little bit, Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. It's all His. And you might want to counter that and you might want to say, Yeah, but I, I worked hard to earn those possessions. Well, God knew you might want to counter that. So here's what He says to you in Deuteronomy chapter 8. You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands produces wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. It's all His. And the fact that we are simply managing God's resources should be enough for us to want to be generous, but there are promises in here that should make us be excited to be generous because Jesus says when we do this and we're generous, we store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Now, contrary to what you on earth, at least in terms of materials, I cannot promise you that God wants you to be rich on earth, at least in terms of material possessions. For all I know, God's will for your life might be that you live right at the poverty line your whole life. But I can promise you, God wants you to be rich in heaven. God wants you to store up treasures for yourself in heaven, treasures that you'll never lose, treasures that thieves can never steal, that moss cannot destroy. Now, I don't know exactly what those treasures are. I'll be honest with you. 
I have some ideas based on things Scripture says, but I can't be dogmatic about it. But I know this. Jesus said there are treasures in heaven, and he wouldn't use that to motivate us if they weren't real and if they weren't better than what we're giving up now. And you can take that to the bank, pun intended. So I want to be clear, we're not talking about salvation here, though. Salvation is not based on anything we do, any work that we do, including our giving. But Jesus says it's more blessed to give than receive. And I don't think he's just talking about warm fuzzies. He's talking about actual treasures and riches in heaven that we store up for ourselves when we're generous, when we give to others, when we manage his resources in a way that brings him honor and glory. See, the Apostle Paul knew the importance of a proper attitude about generosity, and this is how he encouraged Timothy to encourage the early church in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Paul didn't say, teach the rich of this world not to be rich. Again, the issue isn't material wealth. He just said, teach those who are rich not to be proud and not to trust in their money. And he reminds Timothy that God gives richly. Our God is so generous. There's nothing stingy at all about God. And he says, in fact, God gives us all we need for our enjoyment. And so I, I want to encourage you, like Paul wanted Timothy to encourage the early church, to be generous in your good works and generous in the way you treat your resources. Be generous to others. You know, we talked about Missions Week in this video. We are going to do some amazing things at Missions Week. And I say we, God's going to do them, but he's going to use us to do it. We're going to meet needs in Mexico. And we're providing backpacks for kids in rural Mexico with school supplies and hygiene products that quite simply they just wouldn't get if somebody doesn't come down and bring them to them. We're also going to be involved in several construction projects for a church called Familia de Familias down in Ensenada. It's going to be awesome. Right now, they worship under tarps, but you wouldn't know it. They are filled with joy and filled with thanksgiving and filled with the Holy Spirit because it's not about your material possessions. But we're going to put a permanent roof over their facility and do some things like that. We're going to work with little lambs here in the valley. We're going to meet the needs of those kids who are getting taken into Utah's foster care system. We're going to be doing gift baskets to, to families right in our congregation and people that we know that could use a helping hand. And I hope you'll be generous in that. And I don't want you to be generous just because I want to meet their needs. I want you to be generous because I want you to store up treasures in heaven. Because God says that's what you're doing when you're generous. I thought today would be a really good day just to give you a quick update too on our budget since we're talking about greed. So through the month of October, our giving for the year is right at budget. So thank you guys. Praise God for that. Thank you for your generosity. Thank God for his faithfulness. We, we had met budget through September, and then October was rough. And then a couple of you gave extremely large gifts last week. And so thank you for your generosity. Um, thank you for your faithfulness. So I just want to encourage you guys, let's continue to be generous these last two months of the year so that we can meet budget, so that we can keep helping more people pursue God. That's really what it's all about. It's not about the building. It's, not about, it's about helping more people come to know Jesus. See, as we follow Jesus and become more like him, we should expect 
to be more generous. Because never has anyone been as generous as Jesus Christ. He left the riches of heaven. And we sang today that he was born in a cradle in the dirt. He was born in a stable. He was born into poverty. He, he lived most of his adult life homeless when he was in his public ministry. He gave his life for us on the cross. He paid the debt that you and I owe. And when we think about that, how could we be anything but generous? Let's pray. Lord God, I want to thank you for your generosity. <clears throat> you know, your word says you give us the very air that we breathe. Thank you for giving us life. Thank you for giving us life eternal through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that we can come to you in all of our brokenness, all of our rebellion, all of our sin, and, and we can just simply confess that we need a Savior, that we want to turn from that old way of life, we want to turn to you, and that your word says that when we bring those confessions to you, when we ask you to come in and, and be our Savior, that you make us a new creation. That we trade the rags of this world for the riches of heaven. So God, thank you for being generous. Lord God, greed is one of those issues that I, I would imagine most of us coming into today probably didn't think that we struggle with greed. But God, I just pray that, that your spirit would give us eyes to see where we struggle. And if we don't, if it's an area in our life where you've given us victory, praise God. And thank you for that. Help us to continue to be generous. But if it's an area where we need work, Lord God, I just pray that we would submit to your spirit. And I pray that when it's hard, we would think about how generous you've been to us. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.